0: 42 years ago, I was 19 years old. I was dating a girl at the time that uh, her parents were very very committed believers in Jesus Christ and uh, I drove a 67 Camaro hot rod, rode a motorcycle, played in a rock band and had hair down below my ears I think it's safe to assume they had conversations with God about me uh, dating their daughter. And uh, I look back on that, that time in my life where I, I knew, I knew that God was real. I knew he existed in my heart, but I knew nothing about him. And I can remember laying in bed at nights just trying to think of anything I could possibly think about other than having to deal with God and where I stood with Him. And I, I ran as hard as I could, pushed back as much as I could, and resisted. I'm sure that my, my story is not much different than many of you. It's not really that dramatic. I resisted Him, and yet it's like Isaiah Or excuse me, Hosea in the Old Testament said, God said to Israel, I drew you with gentle cords and bands of love. God was drawing me to himself and I came in with my heels dug in at first until finally, thank God I surrendered. Forty-two years later, not one single regret. Jesus has been everything that he promised to be. This song is a a testimony as I look back on the amazing grace of God and how even to this day I'm still so grateful and dependent on His grace.
1: I've given every reason But let me go I heard his voice held the reins just said no goodness and mercy follow me so relentlessly and his grace goes on and on and on that's what amazes me. He found me, and I was lost, held in on my own. With cords of love he drew my heart, he would not leave me alone. Time and time again he spoke about my sin and the price he paid. But he shed how I was dead, and the gift of life he gave. My foolish heart resisted, so grateful he persisted. He saved my life that day. And who am I, O Lord, that you take one thought for me? Your mercy tracked me down, and your love has set me free. And on and on and on and on and on and that's what amazes me
0: You knew, you knew you needed to do something with God. That if you were to die that day, you would not be with Him. And chances are, because I know sinners, because I are one, (laughs) you resisted at first. Those cords of love was drawing your heart, but you resisted. In the 1600s, there was a preacher named John Newton Doubtful that any of us here have read any of his sermons. He wrote some books. Chances are most of us, if not all of us, haven't read one of John Newton's books. However, as you probably know, he wrote a song, and there are relatively few people on this planet that have not heard that song, Amazing Grace. John Newton, as a little boy, had a godly mother. Unfortunately, she died when he was six years old. His father was the opposite. He was a reprobate, a a wicked man. He was a sailor, and by the time John Newton was 11 years old, he went to sea to be a sailor like his father. And as a matter of fact, he even adopted the lifestyle of his father and even took it up a notch. He became a man whose life was engulfed in wickedness. He lived in the depths of sin and debauchery, and eventually John Newton became involved with the slave trade business. As a slaver, he was in the business of buying and selling human beings. And this business just plunged him even deeper into the depths of of darkness. It got so bad that at one point, for two years, He became a slave of a slave and for two years he would eat the table scraps on the floor that his mistress who owned him would toss to him. That's how low he got. There were some sailors on board the ship that he was working on that began to be very concerned for this young man for the direction he was going. And so they gave John a book to read by a man named Thomas Akempis. And it was called The Imitation of Christ. It's a book that, by the way, is still around today. I have a copy of it in my office. He began to read it partly out of jest. Thought he'd make fun of it. But partly out of curiosity. And it began to work on his heart. And it was while they were at sea One time a violent storm kicked up and he thought the ship was going to sink and he began to be in fear for his life. And during that violent storm a great wave washed over the the ship and took him and threw him into the ocean. And of course he thought, that's it, I'm, I'm done. And all he could do was cry out, oh Lord help me. And another wave picked him up and threw it back onto the deck of that ship. And that was what it finally took for this man to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. And and surrender he did. He served the Lord from that point on. His life was changed from that point on. And from that that incident, he, he penned at some point later in his life, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, it saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And to John Newton, that, listen, that wasn't rhetoric. He meant every word of that. You saved somebody like me. I want you to open your Bibles to the New Testament book of Titus. I hope you have a copy of the Scriptures. You're going to need it today. If it's on your, an app or if it's a good old-fashioned paper, find Titus. The reason I'm giving that story on John Newton is because I I can't help but wonder if part, at least in part, Amazing Grace wasn't inspired by what we're going to look at this morning. In Titus chapter 2, there are several things that we can learn about God's grace. First of all, if you're taking notes, what grace brought What grace brought salvation? Look at verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. What what has grace brought, folks? Salvation, right? The only way that you can be saved is for grace to bring it to you. You might ask today, Why why do I need to be saved? What is salvation? Why do I need that? I want you to hold your place in Titus. We're going to come back to that. But I want you to go, if you will, to a parallel passage in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, a classic passage on grace. And here we're going to say, why do we need to be saved And I'm gonna give you several words that all begin with the letter D. First of all, without the Lord, you're dead. Verse one of chapter two of Ephesians, and you he made alive who were what? Dead in trespasses and sins. Think about this, folks. Mankind isn't simply sick and needing to be healed, mankind is dead. And he's needing to be made alive. You see, death is not separation of the soul from the body. Listen, death is separation of the soul from God. You don't have to be saved to have eternal existence. You'll have eternal existence somewhere, right? Heaven or hell, smoking or non smoking. Everyone has eternal existence, but you don't have eternal life until you have Jesus Christ. Jesus said this in, in John 10 10 I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So without the Lord, you're dead, Paul says. But look at the next part of verse 2, or or, excuse me, verse 2, without the Lord you're devilish. Verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, who is the prince of the power of the air? You already know the answer to that, right? Satan, the devil. He's the prince of the power of the air. You and I were in the grip. We were in the grasp. We were under the domain and the rule of the devil himself. Jesus at one point talked to the religious believers in his day who had rejected him full scale. And he said this, you are of your father, the devil. So without the Lord, you're dead. Without the Lord, you're devilish. Thirdly, without the Lord you're disobedient. Look at the rest of verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. Is there anyone here who would stand up and deny that you have not broken one of God's laws? Nobody would do that. Every one of us here knows that we have. For all have sinned, and what? Comes short of the glory of God. It's pervasive. It's pandemic. Everyone, no one has not sinned. Everyone has sinned. And what does the Bible say the wages of sin is? Death. death. Romans 6:23. The wages of sin is death. Ezekiel 8:20 says that the soul that sins, it shall surely die. Folks, that's why we're we're dead, is because of our sins. In our trespasses. We're devilish, we're disobedient. But in verse 3, you could add one more to that, and that is that we are depraved. That's not a popular word, it means to be complete reprobates. Verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. You see, we have a sinful nature, don't we? We inherited it from our parents, they inherited it from theirs, and it goes all the way back to the fall. We got it from Adam. Adam. We're all that way. That's why Psalm 58 says this, verse 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born speaking lies. David wrote in Psalm 51, 5, in sin did my mother conceive me. Listen, he doesn't mean that she was sinning when she conceived him. It means that he was conceived with a sinful nature. David understood he was born with that sin nature. Folks, if you take a a baby rattlesnake and you separate him from all the other rattlesnakes and you treat him with love and kindness and you feed him and you you nurture him as best you can, when when that little rattlesnake grows up, do you know what he will grow up to be? A big rattlesnake. Right? He has the venom in him. It is his nature to be a rattlesnake. You You don't cultivate or educate somebody into the kingdom of God. They are born, if you will, spiritually dead. We grow up and we're devilish, we're disobedient, and we're depraved. And wow, that's bad news, Pastor Frank. Yeah, but verse four, praise God, there's a verse four. But God, what a wonderful transitional phrase, right? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You followed after your father, the devil. You were sons of disobedience. That means you were kin to the devil in that sense. You were disobedient because so was your father the devil and you're depraved. There's nothing in and of yourself that's good but God. Praise God. Verse 4, praise God. Who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, what did he do? Made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. If we had a, this is morbid, if I had a corpse laying right here, I'd say, let's get him back alive. Let's, let's just set an example of what being alive looks like. Everybody jump up, do some jumping jacks. Let's, ex- let's set an example for this corpse, what, looking, what being alive looks like, Right? Or maybe what we do is we get some of the the wonderful people who are in our educational system. Uh, How many teachers or people who work in education are here today? Wow, you guys are wonderful. Praise God for you. We'll get you up here and help raise his IQ. Let's give him an education, right? And then we'll get some people up here who just have that natural gift of encouragement and say, come on, man, get up. I know you can do it. Come on. you know Try it. What we could maybe do then is just say, well, what he needs to be is just put in a better environment. He's hanging with the wrong crowd, so what I'm going to do is we're going to take him everywhere we go. (laughs) Make sure he hangs out with Christians at Starbucks and has prayer meetings and stuff, right? (laughs) So we're going to put him in a better environment. Now, I'm being silly, but folks, exposing a dead person to a good example, a good education, a lot of encouragement and a positive environment will never bring them to life, right? There's only one person who can do that, and that was the person in verse 5. When we were dead in trespasses, we are made alive together with Christ. He's the only one. You and I could no more save ourselves than a dead man by his own will and volition could come back to life. Nor could anyone else save you, apart from God, more than anyone else could, could raise the dead. What has grace brought? Folks, it's brought salvation. That's what it's brought. You're not saved by the merit of man, but by the mercy of God, right? Not by the goodness of man, but by the grace of God. Salvation is not a reward for the righteous. It is a gift for the guilty. Amen. This is what grace has brought. Number two, what grace has taught. Go back to Titus. Back in Titus now, what grace has taught, here's a big word for you sanctification. I'll explain that in a few moments. For verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation as a period to all men, what is it taught? Verse 12, teaching us, what does it teach us? To deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. Those are the two negatives. It teaches us this is wrong, but it also teaches us that we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. So what has grace taught? It's taught us what are no-no's, right? This is wrong. But it also teaches us what is right. What grace has taught us, the, the big word, is sanctification. It it really just basically means to to separate, to purify something, to separate it unto God. Something that is sanctified to God is something that has been cleansed and separated, uh, to be used by God. We're saved by grace, folks, but you know that that doesn't mean that we can continue to live in sin, right? The grace that saves us is the same grace that begins to sanctify us, purify us on the inside. Paul in the book of Romans, I want you to look at these passages on the screen. Paul says, Moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. Let me just just give you an idea of what Paul is saying. Before the law, before Moses and the Ten Commandments and all of the law was given, there were things that were on the conscience of man. He knew in his heart something was wrong, but it wasn't written down anywhere. It's kind of like uh, if you're in a, in, in a place where there's no posted speed limit sign, you pretty much can go as fast or as slow as you want. But the minute they post a sign that says 55 miles an hour, now there's no excuse for you to do 60, 65, Teresa. <laughs> I am so much trouble. But no, once the law came, what did it do? It made the offense abound. Now you know what's wrong, right? So moreover, the law entered, God's law entered to point out how bad we were, but where sin abounded, I love this, grace abounded much more. So... That as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then Paul asks this question in the next chapter, verse 1. What shall we say then? If that's the case, what shall we say? Shall we we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, Paul, you said where, where, where sin abounds, grace exceedingly abounds. Well, then shouldn't I? The more I sin, the more grace there is. Isn't that a good thing? No. What does he say? certainly not. The King James says, God forbid. It's a very strong term in the Greek. We would say, no way. Just because you're saved by grace doesn't mean that you go on sinning so that grace abounds even more and more and more. No, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Being saved by the grace of God does not mean that you get Saved and then live any way you want to live, right? Once you get saved by grace, you are, listen, you're automatically enrolled in the school of grace because grace teaches something. What does it teach you? To deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live righteously and soberly in this present age. In the school of grace, you got to understand, folks, it never closes. The teacher never fails to show up. There's a lot of homework in the school of grace. And there's no recess, by the way. You don't get to take a break from it. You're continually being taught. Forty-two years I've been walking with Jesus, and He keeps teaching me even to this day. Keeps reproving me. Keeps instructing me. Keeps convicting me. He's still, his grace just keeps going on and on and on. God's grace begins to teach us how to live our lives and see John Newton wrote in, in the second verse of that, that wonderful song, grace has taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved." The relieved. Grace taught me something John Newton wrote. And folks God's school of grace just keeps on teaching us and will do so until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? He never stops teaching. He never stops pursuing a deeper and deeper and more intimate relationship with you. You may resist Him. You may have resisted Him before you got saved, but you know you can still resist Him even to this day. You can still live with those little pet sins in your life. You can still live justifying what you're doing, how you're behaving. You can keep justifying that and quenching and grieving the Spirit of grace. doesn't mean you're not saved, but you can still resist Him but He will continue to work on you. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing that He which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will not give up on you. He relentlessly, wonderfully pursues you. We are being taught by the grace of God and He's still working on us. Here's something else John Newton wrote. Look at this quote. I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. But thank God I am not what I once was. And I can say with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Folks, he's still working on us and we are growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What has grace brought? Salvation. What has grace taught? Sanctification. What has grace sought? Service. What was our God thinking when He saved us by His grace? Look at verse 14. Who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify unto Himself His own special people, zealous for good works? Let me read that again and show you something. It says, He gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed. That's salvation and purify for himself his own special people, that's sanctification, and then to be zealous for good works, that's service, right? That's what grace sought. That's what grace is in the business of doing. And look what it says. It says, first of all, that we are purchased. He gave himself for us. That means he purchased us with himself. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, we are not redeemed with corruptible things, but by the precious blood of Christ. Folks, that's that's what grace seeks to do is to purchase, to redeem lost men and women, boys and girls. And it says we're purchased. Somebody's trying to describe grace. Said, Grace is love that gives. Isn't that true? Grace is love that gives, but folks, it's more than that. You see, grace is love that gives where there is no merit, right? Where we don't deserve to have anything given to us. But grace is even more than that. Grace is love that gives where there is no merit, but where there is actually much demerit. Grace is love that God gives to wicked and vile people. But grace is more than that. Grace is love that gives where there is no merit, where there is much demerit, and, where, and, and and it gives to those who are wicked and vile. But it goes beyond that because it gives to those who don't even want to receive it. If it listen, think, think about this. God's grace has to pursue the sinner. If that were not the case, no one would be saved. Because left to our own choice, we would never have chosen God. We'd have lived on in our sin if if grace had not pursued us. John said this, and you can finish this verse for me. We love Him because He first loved us. God... Listen, God always, always, always takes the initiative in the relationship. Because if He left you alone and He left me alone, you'd never wake up one morning going, you know what, I'm so tired of this life, I think I will trust God today. You would not have done that on your own. David understood this in Psalm 27, 8. David said this, When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, will I seek. You see, God takes the initiative. It says, Seek me, come to me. And as He said in, in the book of Hosea, I drew them with gentleness, with bonds of love. He draws us to Himself. Jesus told His disciples this, and by implication, it's true of you as well who know Christ. Jesus told His disciples, You didn't choose me, I chose you. <laughs> Paul echoed the same thought in Ephesians 1.4 where he said, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. You see folks, grace, grace seeks to give to vile, wicked people that which they don't deserve and can never deserve. Grace gives where there is no merit, and conversely where there is much demerit. And grace gives gives to those who resist the gift, But there's more than that. You see, grace gives at great cost to the giver. Think about it. It's not just that he gave, but that he gave himself. He gave himself in agony and blood. Folks, that is grace at its its fullest. And I would say this, Jesus is the personification of grace. Amen? John wrote this in that the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Here it is. Full of grace and truth. What is grace sought? It's sought to purchase us. And it seeks to purify us. Look at the second part of verse 14. That He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself, His own people. So we're purchased... And again, we're purified. Again, folks, grace doesn't mean, grace does not mean that God says, now I that I've forgiven you of all your sins, you just go ahead and live any old way you want. You're in. Go ahead and live like hell. I'm going to tell you this right now. You claim to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you're just living like hell. You might very well be on the road to hell. If there is no conviction of sin, if you can keep justifying and live in a certain way and there is no conviction in your heart, you need to do what Paul said in, in the book of Romans. You need to examine yourself and see whether you be found in the faith. James even warned, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. We're purified. I mean the law said don't commit adultery. Grace doesn't mean that you now can. Right? The the law said, Thou shalt not steal. That doesn't mean under grace that now I can. No. If God said something was sin or an abomination in the Old Testament under the law, grace does not mean that God now has lessened His view on those things being sins. Nothing has changed. And grace purchased us, but it's purifying us, and I love this, And another thing it seeks to do is is make us us his special possession. Look what it says in verse 14 again. He redeemed us from every lawless deed and purified for himself his own special people. The word in in, in the, the King James, the old King James, it says he made us his own peculiar people. Now in our English language, the word peculiar we kind of it, when we use it, we're referring to something that's strange or weird, right? Which, which is certainly the case with some of you. But. The, but the word actually designates something special. It was a word that was used if a, if a, in, in the situation is if, a, is if a captain or a general would win this great victory in battle, he would often take part of the spoils of that battle and he would go in and he would take a treasure for himself. He would bring it back to his home. And it was sort of his trophy for himself for that victory. It was special or it was called a peculiar possession. Folks, Think about this, in the ages to come you and I who know Christ are trophies of His grace. You're going to adorn Heaven and He's going to get the glory for you being there. We are His peculiar special possession. The captain of our salvation went to bloody Calvary and he defeated Satan. And folks, He paid the sin debt and redeemed unto Himself a peculiar or a special people. That's what grace sought. We're purchased, we're purified, we are peculiar or a special possession to the Lord. Grace brought salvation, it taught sanctification, it sought service. Jesus didn't bathe this world with His blood just to have you serve the world, the flesh, and the devil. There's a reason He saved you. He gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity, purifying Himself a peculiar people, zealous for doing what's right, for good works. Fourthly, what has grace wrought? We've seen what it brought. What has grace wrought? That is, what has it produced in us? I say a blessed hope. Look at verse 13. What did grace do? Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know what grace has wrought in my heart and hopefully in yours as well? And that is a blessed hope. Folks, we're looking for a blessed hope. We're looking for that glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it, it, it's not over yet, folks. We've still, we still got a ways to go. He could come back. Listen, there is nothing according to, to the scriptures that I can see that would hinder Jesus from coming back for his church at this very second. Rats. Can't h- blame me for trying. Folks, uh, I, listen. What, what has begun in grace, in verse 11, will end in glory, verse 13. Grace always ends in glory. We're looking for Jesus to come again. This is what grace has wrought in us. Is I live with a hope that He is going to come. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That is a blessed hope. Because you know what, folks? And I don't got to tell you this. The world is in a mess. Oh my gosh, and it's not getting better. It's getting worse and worse and worse. And let me just say this to you. I hope you hear what I'm saying. If you're hoping the next president's going to fix the mess our nation is in, you're going to be very disappointed. I don't care who it is. No. I don't know about you. I'm not looking for some political figure. I'm, I'm not even looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for the upper taker. I'm looking for for the Lord Jesus Christ and His glorious appearing. And whether He takes me while I'm I'm alive or whether He takes me through death, either way, I'm getting there. Right? He He came the first time. He gave Himself for us, verse 14, to redeem us. But folks, He's coming again the second time to rule over us. This is what grace has wrought. This blessed hope that someday our Lord's going to come back. He is going to rule and reign and righteous and make His enemies His footstool. He is going to be in absolute sovereign control. We look for that. And let me ask you a question. Do you have that hope in you today? Do you know your future? Has this been a part of you? What has grace brought? Salvation. What has grace taught? Sanctification. What has grace sought? Service. We're His peculiar people. And what has grace wrought? A blessed hope. One day, folks, when we finish life's race, we're going to look upon the face of the one who saved us by his grace. He's going to take us to his place. And I'm not going to try to say that again. But, folks, that is the mighty work of grace, isn't it? That's the mighty work of grace. There was a a song when I first became a Christian. I was thinking about this last night, and I go, wow, I, this has been, and like I say, I was just a young Christian, so I know it's been you know, 40 years ago, because I was just brand new to the faith. My pastor's wife, I went to church in Corcoran, and she used to sing a song quite often. We'd have sing-alongs every fifth Sunday, and uh, she, she, uh, she sang this song, and I tried last night, I thought, wow, I'm amazed that I actually remember the first verse in the chorus, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna sing it to you, okay? No extra charge for this. He gives
1: grace for every need along the way. When heartaches come and trials fall, He is my stay. When it seems that no one cares, hope is gone and I'm in tears. He gives grace for every need and calms my fears. Grace for each heartache, grace for each pain. Grace so wondrous for me He was slain to the tree blood shed for me grace marvelous grace i
0: now can see isn't that a great old gospel song folks when we think about the mighty work of grace we are saved by his grace We are saved in Him before the foundation of the world. His grace reaches on and it just keeps going on and on and on beyond anything the Energizer Bunny can do. (laughs) If you know what I mean. It just keeps going on. And it follows me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. It's no wonder John Newton, that wicked sailor, sang of amazing grace and said, It sounds sweet to me because it saved someone just like me. And I want you to know here in a few moments that I want to give an invitation, and it's really not my invitation, but I believe it's the Lord's invitation. And if you're here today and you know it is time to finally quit resisting God's drawing, and it's time to surrender to that. There's going to be people up here, waiting to pray with you, explain to you how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Please don't leave today, folks. We're going we're gonna to stand here in just a moment, just a moment, we're going to stand. I hope that nobody gets up and walks out right now in this, this very important moment. But if you today are living apart from a relationship with God, you have eternal existence, but you don't have eternal life. And today that can change. I want to invite our our praise team to come back out at this time. We're gonna sing the rest of Amazing Grace, but this is your chance to come. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to put you on the spot. We're simply offering you a very important life-changing opportunity to change the very course of where your life is headed. And let me ask you a very serious question. Can you really give yourself one good reason why you should put Jesus off one minute longer? Father, right now, in this room, there are men and women who know in their heart they're religious but they've never had a relationship with Christ. And I pray that today would be that day that they quit resisting like I did so many years ago and found you to be everything I needed. And I pray that today they would find you, that, Lord, they would trust you. Use those who come today as our prayer team to lead the multitudes to Christ, bring from the balcony, from the back of this room, bring them forward right now that they might receive eternal life in Jesus Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me. Sing this very familiar song. And as we sing, this is your invitation to come right now.